HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, your head-to-toe guide to ethical fashion and non-toxic beauty. Each week, I sit down with leaders, makers, and designers at the forefront of sustainability to discuss their journeys and motivation. I'm your host, Kate Black, and this is episode 39. Today's guest is a creator and innovator at the forefront of biomaterials and helping us create products that are much more sustainable and less reliant on petrochemicals. Eben Bayer and his co-founder developed an idea during their innovative studio class almost a decade ago to use mycelium to create insulation out of agricultural waste. And that idea has grown to become ecovative and is at the forefront of sustainable industrial solutions. Welcome, Eben. Hey. Hi. Thanks for, having, thanks for coming. Listen, usually later in the episode, I ask my guests what in their childhood led to this path, but I want to start there today. You grew up in Vermont, and I want to know, how did your childhood lay the groundwork for ecovative? Um, I was really fortunate to grow up on a real working farm in central Vermont, so we have, we're a four-season farm. We did maple syrup in the spring. Um, we raised cattle in the summer. Um, we did pigs in the fall and forestry. Um, so I was really exposed to nature, um, kind of an off-grid home as well, and um, really taught me um, a lot about how to live um, in tune with our environment uh, and also how to leverage natural processes. So even though I didn't really think I was living an odd life, uh, when I went to college and got to Rensselaer, I realized that most people didn't live that way. And so can you also just talk about the, I love this idea of an innovator studio. What school was that? And and was that a typical course for all the programs? No, that was a pretty rare uh, course, actually. And I ended up uh, in that track because when you go to engineering school, at least when I did it at Rensselaer, they put a thousand people in an auditorium and they say, everyone who wants to be an aeronautical engineer, you know, raise your hand. Okay, go out that door. You know, everyone wants to be a chemical engineer, raise your hand and go out that door. And they kept doing it. In the end, there were about 20 kids left and they said, okay, all of you come with us. 
and um, we all got put into this um, what was called the PDI program, but uh, essentially revolved around these Inventor Studios class. Um, and the goal of that studio uh, was to create a technology that could have a positive impact on the earth. Uh, that was patentable and could be a real business. And uh, that's what I did with my co-founder, Gavin McIntyre. And so when you started playing around with mycelium, was it was it something that came out of your childhood or was it something that, you know, you had heard ha- might have a use in the build space or how did you, how did that evolve? So I think that the, the impact from my childhood was, you know, I, actually, I absolutely played with mycelium as a child. I saw it growing on wood chips that I used to shovel into our evaporator um, and actually holding them together. Um, But I hadn't really given that a second thought at the time. Um, And I think when I got to Rensselaer, the sort of insight I got by getting off the farm was, uh, here I am studying mechanical engineering and how, you know, engines work and turbines and rocket ships. And, you know, I kept thinking back to cows and plants and trees on my family farm and thinking about, well, those are technology, too, and that technology seems a lot better. You know, it doesn't create a lot of waste. In fact, it, you know, most, mostly nature upgrades waste into better products. How could we use natural technology uh, to solve some of these questions? And it wasn't in that Inventor Studio uh, where a really compelling professor, Bert Swerzy, who was pushing me to really think outside the box, that I came back and said, right, rather than creating a chemical glue, uh, why don't we try and do this with a growing organism, mycelium? I've seen it, you know, holding wood chips together on my farm. So there was that that link, but it wasn't until sort of I reflected after the fact. And so then after the class, how did you and Gavin start to kind of put together the the things that people need to to start a business? Well, we started really small uh, and really scrappily. Um, we had a five thousand dollar grant to get started, and we got some free space in the Rensselaer Business Incubator. Uh, and I really have to give credit to my mentor who ran Inventor Studio, Bert Swerzy. I mean, he he really helped Gavin and I jump in with both feet. In fact, um, he insisted that we do that. You know, he he was very clear that we couldn't do this sort of on weekends and and um, in in our spare time because we both had jobs. So we had to quit our jobs and start this business. Um, and we bootstrapped the first year and a half business plan competitions, federal grants, and just trying to make you know make a material we could show to someone uh, that might be of commercial interest. And at the time, were you the only ones kind of playing with mycelium? And are you still kind of really ahead of the curve when it comes to um, what, where this can go and where it's going? So we did create the field of mycelium composites uh, and mycelium materials. Um, folks have been growing mushrooms and, um, by effect, mycelium for hundreds and hundreds of years. But no one had ever said, let's try and do this without the mushrooms and actually turn that substrate into a molded shape um, for applications. And I'm proud to say, um, while we were all alone 10 years ago, uh, there are now hundreds of innovators, uh, artists, designers, students around the world uh, who are playing with mycelium material. Some are making real businesses. Some are making really innovative products or projects that I never would have imagined. And it's really turning into uh, an ecosystem. And I'm, I'm really excited to see that because uh, it means that the idea in this field makes sense, you know, outside of just our, uh, our company. I love that. And in fact, a lot of listeners of the show will, will know we've kind of dabbled in biomaterials from the fashion perspective. And, and you know, there's, there's kind of growth in that area and mycelium and mushroom are starting to kind of peek their head up as a leather alternative. But I don't think we've ever um, really had a conversation about how it can go beyond that and how, how it can really affect um, living and, and industrial products. And so I wanted to talk about because um, you have a great TED Talk. What what year was your TED Talk? 2010? 
Yeah, that's correct. Um, and so for anybody who wants to kind of delve deeper, it's a fantastic overview of, of kind of the project and the business ideas way to take agricultural waste and actually make new products again. So anybody who's really interested in upcycling will will love it. And one of the things you talk about is is your product's ability to kind of make an end or to put an end to styrofoam and other petrochemical derived products. Was that a motivation was that a motivator right from the beginning? It absolutely was. I mean, we founded Ecovative uh, really as a mission-oriented company that wanted to explore this biological phenomena, but also um, really had a goal of reducing or eliminating what we considered to be certain harmful or toxic pl- plastics on the planet. Um, and and uh, expanded polystyrene or styrofoam is, is a good example of one that can be a great material in certain applications like building construction where you might keep it for 100, 200 years. But it's really terrible when you use it for packaging because you only use it for you know days or weeks, um, and they often end up out of the collection system. So that was definitely a goal of ours. And so, and you came onto my radar when, because um, we're both in New York, when Mayor Bloomberg kind of proposed banning styrofoam in 2013, because then all of a sudden you guys were in the news a lot. So what do you think about legislation and the kind of the partnership or the way that legislation can work to really move um, innovation and um, like biomaterials forward? Um, you know, I, I actually, when we started Ecovative, I didn't think it was that important. Um, you know, I had a belief, and I continue to have a belief, these solutions with biology just need to be better than existing chemical processes, because that will be how you get ultimately adoption everywhere, and I believe that's needed, and I believe natural technology will allow us to be better uh, than the old industrial chemical processes we developed in the 40s and 50s. Um, But with that said, having now (laughs) gotten beat up a lot in this industry, I realized just how important the sort of government uh, participation uh, is, because it's a really challenging problem. Packaging waste in particular is a classic tragedy of the common situation. No one likes getting plastic packaging in the mail, um, but no one individual is kind of willing to make a purchasing decision based on the packaging. And that may be an overgeneralization. There are probably listeners to your program that care enough to do that. But on average, you know, packaging is something that's added last. And so the, the banning of styrofoam by certain municipalities has really helped drive interest, but it's still such a patchwork across a couple of major cities that it still hasn't led to major brands really really changing their packaging. Um, and so it would be wonderful to find a way to kind of externalize uh, these costs, these waste costs, like how much does it cost to put plastic in the ocean, uh, how much does it cost to get it out. If you could somehow uh, capture that, uh, cost, it would really accelerate our transition to a biological and circular economy. Absolutely. And and I think you're right. I think by and large, aside from our small listenership, um, that people just don't really pay attention. And so in order, so that was where the business got a foothold, right? Like you were able mm-hmm. to kind of grow the mycelium into corner pieces and all the kind of typical shapes um, that that styrofoam would hold for televisions or anything that's breakable. And and was that enough to kind of create the two um, the two facilities that you have? Because you now have yeah. facilities on East so, and West Coast? Uh, we actually, both of uh, one of our facilities is called Eco East, but it's, it's just a couple miles over the Hudson River <laughs> from our headquarters. Um, so we have two facilities, but they're, they're both in upstate uh, New York. One of them is fully dedicated uh, to producing packaging. 
um, and packaging-related molded shapes. And so that's kind of our remains our anchor manufacturing business. And then the rest of our efforts are continuing to develop the processes to scale this technology further. Um, specifically growing really large blocks of mycelium composites that can be sliced up and used in furniture uh, as a structural core um, as well as an insulation board. So kind of continuing to move into durable goods um, as well as actually beginning to engineer the organism itself. And is there a limit, like because it's grown and because it's grown to spec and to size, is there a, is there a limit of what each facility can do before you need to kind of expand and have another facility or, or is the limit endless? So the really cool thing about mycelium is that, you know, whatever size object you're growing, it always takes the same amount of time. And um, the power in biology is you start with a couple cells, you inoculate, say, some wood fiber or agricultural fiber with a few cells of mycelium. uh, And over the course of days or a week, that'll propagate from a couple cells to billions of cells. And that's what makes the material hold together. And so the process we've been working on for the last three years which I believe is the ultimate and like last scaling step for this biological process, um, allows you to grow blocks of mycelium that are you know hundreds or thousands of feet long um, and arbitrarily wide and about four feet thick. So that's kind of um, when you get to that scale, you can really start to compete on par um, with other industrial processes. Where today, even our packaging plant, which we produced about a million and a half pounds last year, it's a lot of product, but it's very very small compared to the amount of material flows in our world. That's that's true. And before people think that I've only brought you on here to talk about um, product I, or packaging, I also just kind of want to delve into um, Danielle Trofe because we featured her on Magnifico because she has this amazing lighting collection um, called Mushloom. And, and only after I wrote about her and only after I featured her did I realize that she was using your same technology. So how have you kind of moved beyond packaging to start to work with designers and um, interior people? Well, Danielle is a, a, just a wonderful example of what we'd like to see keep happening in this space, which is um, a brilliant designer uh, coming into this field, uh, realizing that, that she sees something special that can be done with this biology, um, and going ahead and creating a really beautiful, meaningful product for people. Uh, and she did that because we, have a, we, we created a version of our materials you can buy on our website called Grow, which is a dehydrated bag of essentially agricultural fiber and mycelium. You can add water at home, and you can make your own objects. And she was like the first pilot user ever in this program. She was in New York. She came up. She'd get wet bags of material. And she's really created both a business uh, producing these as well as, I think, um, advanced the design community and what they see as possible with these materials. Um, And we're continuing to collaborate with her. Um, We're working on a a new light uh, uh, that's targeted to end users and home users with her that you can get online now as well. And it's it's fun because you can either get a finished one or you can actually grow your own if you want using her design and her, her molds. Oh, I love that. And so because it's bio-based, the end-of-life proposition is fully circular. Is that correct? It is. And these aren't meant to be disposable. You know, they'll last, you know, many, many years, 10 years, 20 years. Essentially, they'll last indefinitely inside a home. But they are totally non-toxic. Um, you could eat them if you wanted um, they, they taste really bitter. And, yeah, at the end of life, um, they can be recycled, they can be composted, they could even be ground up and regrown into another shape. That's amazing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back, and I want to talk about more about these packages and how people can get involved.
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. Hi, I'm back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio and today's guest, Eben Bayer from Ecovative. So before the break, we were just talking about Danielle Trofe and her mushroom collection. Can we talk about DIY and how you decided to kind of make it accessible to everybody to grow it yourself? Yeah, so that, that was a big cultural shift for us, uh, and it took a number of years, almost four years now, to sort of complete that um, mindset shift at Ecubative. As I mentioned, we started this out of a class that really encouraged us to patent and protect our ideas, um, which we did, and we hold the patents for this technology in 31 countries. Um, but once we got established, we realized, um, you know, we wanted to be commercially successful in doing this, but because we were mission-oriented just as badly, we wanted to see it everywhere. Um, and so that was a real tension. And so this GROW program um, was a way of starting to relieve that tension by essentially not only giving permission to smaller producers and innovators and designers to do this um, themselves, um, you know, saying, you're not going to, don't worry about it, we'll not only knock in your way, but we'll help you, but then giving them the tools to do it really, really simply. Um, so we actually used funding from the Buckminster Fuller Challenge, which we won that year. Um, and used it to develop a dehydrated version of our process. So we took our whole factory here at Ecovative and condensed that into uh, essentially a glass jar or a plastic bag of materials you can get uh, that allows you to then grow your own objects at home. And we began by piloting that with just a few designers like Danielle, uh, and now we've made it available to everyone on our website. And we have people um, from China to Europe uh, to students in California and across New York you know, creating their own objects uh, at home. And it's and how do you track it? Like just from a kind of curiosity perspective, is there a hashtag that that um, innovators or designers are using, or how are you seeing what could be possible? Yeah, so we have um, uh, w- there's a couple things we do uh, to track that. One, uh, we c- we have a good sense of where stuff's going from our own e-commerce backend, but then more often than not, I mean, I I end up reading about cool mycelium projects on Twitter, and I'll go back in and check our. Our, our web shop, and I'll see that someone bought a DIY kit a few, you know, weeks or months ago. Um, and a lot of the time they mention us, and sometimes they don't. And, and it's sort of like either way, it's it's good from our perspective. Like seeing the field develop and new applications appear is exactly what we're looking for. Um, because as a as a company, it's very hard to do many things at once. And there are so many interesting applications we'd like to explore. Um, we have a, a group uh, out in Seattle, which is actually part of the environmental um, agency there, that is growing wetland rafts for wetland restoration uh, because they want a non-plastic way to restore wetlands, and they need something that will, like, hold plants in the water but will eventually get incorporated into their root structure. It's a wonderful application for mycelium. It's probably too specific for us to go after, but they're using these kits to create it. 
I, I, I absolutely love that because I think that um, particularly in the fashion um, and beauty worlds, we really want to see more proliferation of, um, you know, better technology and particularly biomaterials and to figure out how to keep the, the secrecy and the patentable um, information, but still make it accessible to a larger audience, I think is, is a challenge, but also something that's really great for the marketplace. And you're starting to work with students as well. Is that correct? Keene University yeah. and other, other student bodies? Yeah, so that was a, an outreach program that our, our program manager, Jeff, started this spring. Um, and that was, again, in response to actually either students coming to us or, more often than not, schools that are starting to set up their own bio labs uh, to expose students not just to mycelium, but lots of other grown materials, um, like SCOBY leather for, uh, from kombucha. Um, and so we've started both uh, sponsoring some competitions for these schools, uh, as well as we also do workshops um, and certainly provide them with materials. And some of the best uh, projects, I have to say, come out of these student workshops. Well, not surprising, given that's your kind of your incubation as well. Um, yeah. And so when you can I just an entrepreneurial kind of question. So now it's almost a decade since you um, met Gavin and you kind of started on this journey. What have been some of the biggest challenges and what have been some of the biggest rewards? So I think the biggest challenge um, in general has been interfacing um, what I think is really beautiful natural technology um, to the right commercial model. Um, and that's a challenge um, I think any technology-driven company has. Um, and, you know, that's manifested in different ways. As we talked about for packaging, while that's been successful, uh, it's been hard to compete um, when the value of having a waste-free product um, isn't reflected on the, in the end user. Um, and I think some of the other um, challenges come from building a team, you know, building the right culture. But those are also some of the most uh, rewarding experiences I've had uh, on this journey. Uh, and I'm really grateful. I've gotten to work with some of the most amazing people over the last 10 years, super smart people who could work anywhere they wanted and worked here because uh, they really wanted to make a difference in the world. And, you know, that's probably the thing I'm most grateful for. And so to entrepreneurs listening and students, what, what advice do you give, especially for people who are maybe sitting on some technology or some advancement um, and just hesitant to, to kind of take that giant step forward? So um, the advice I would give is the same advice that I got from Bert Swerzy. Um, and it's twofold. One is um, don't do nonsense. He liked to say that. And it, what it meant is focus on important problems in the world. Um, so make sure whatever you're working on you, you really believe in, but it's better than, uh, you know, an improved cap for a laundry detergent bottle. Make sure it's helping someone in some way. It could be cleaner water or clean food or a better product to put on your body, you know, that doesn't contain chemicals. But, but make sure it's an important problem. And then the other, uh, which is the harder bit of advice, I think, um, is when you're, you, if you want to see your entrepreneurial venture succeed, you have to commit full force. So I quit my job on my first day of work to start Ecovative. Um, that was really scary to do, but in retrospect, I know if I hadn't done that, we never would have gotten this far. Because you can always, you know, if you're subsidizing it through working or doing it in the evenings, you can always put it off. Um, but once it becomes your number one focus, you know, you'll suddenly find yourself very motivated to make it work. That's true. I love that. And so what's coming up um, in the future? Where where do you see this evolving in the next year or things that you can talk about and in the next five and ten years? Well, I see the forefront for us and I think a lot of um, – natural technology companies around actually engineering the organism, um, which I know some folks find um, a little scary, but I think there are very considered ways to do it in a controlled process like this. 
Um, and by tweaking what nature has given us, we can drastically improve the technologies, almost like a software update. Um, so we can make mycelium that's stronger or mycelium that's more rot resistant um, or even mycelium that um, helps bioremediate certain chemicals um, or even mycelium that can sense and respond to its environment and let you know if there's a, a toxin in your home by uh, changing its color. Um, and so that's, I think, the next frontier for us. Um, we're working on that in partnership with DARPA. Uh, we have a $9 million grant over four years to develop those tools. Um, and one of my favorite examples of that right now is a product called Orbella. Uh, that was released. It's a fragrant moss that sits on your desk. And they took a, a regular moss and they just engineered it to produce a couple different scents like you might get from Febreze. But it's totally natural and it runs on sunlight and water. And I think that's just a beautiful example of how you can use engineered biology in a really good way to improve natural living. Me too. I love that. And so how can listeners, particularly students or universities that want to collaborate, how can people um, kind of connect with, with you and, and learn more? So if you go on our website, uh, ecovativedesign.com, uh, the first thing you'll see is sort of our, our web shop where you can, you can get a grow kit if you want to experiment with that. Um, if you want to participate and ask questions, we have a Facebook group, uh, a GIY Facebook group where people ask questions. Um, and later this fall, we're actually going to be launching um, Grow as its own website, grow.bio. Uh, where will be a community for people to ask questions. We're going to be uploading a lot of our resources we've developed internally, making those public, and, of course, offering uh, both mycelium kits and kits and other materials as well. That's amazing. Um, and we connected through our people. My people contacted your people. I'm not sure if they told you this season I have three questions that I use to wrap up. Um, so the first one is, if your life had a motto, what would it be? Uh, fortunately, I did get these questions. Okay, good. Because <laughs> sometimes um, there's a lot of dead air if, if it takes you by surprise. Yeah. Um, so for, for a motto, I, I, was th I thought about this, and I think, um, and this is also, again, comes from, from Bert Swerzy, um, my mentor, but I, I think a motto is really like, you can do it. Um, and I both mean that for myself and for others listening. I, I think it's. I think that's lovely. It's nice and simple um, and definitely an example that you're living. So who or what inspires you? Um, I'm inspired uh, a lot by nature. So I think when I see a tree or a blade of grass, like what I see is a, an incredibly beautiful piece of technology. You know, something that captures these ethereal, uh, ephemeral packets of light and turns them into matter. Like as someone who studied mechanical engineering, that just blows my mind. Like I could never design that. Um, and so I'm really inspired by nature and inspired by how um, we can use natural technology to help live in, humans live sustainably on this planet. That's kind of like um, what really gets me out of bed in the morning. And you're... Um, your home life and your work life kind of intersect, right? Because you're also, as an adult, living off the grid? I am. My wife and I uh, live off the grid in a cabin in upstate New York we built um, on uh, a forested hillside. Um, and it's been quite the adventure because we started living in a tent uh, in the middle of the forest and have slowly been clearing the land and, you know, improving our living situation. That's amazing. Okay, so, and this might tie into that, but what's on your bucket list? What, what are you working towards? Um, so right now I'm actually getting interested in forestry and forestry management. Um, and we have a small parcel of land, and I'm uh, planning to start to improve it, um, both through some logging but also creating some different habitats. And I'm really loving learning about, you know, creating habitats that support wildlife by, you know, enhancing blueberry production through designating a portion of the forest to be a woodlot for sustainable firewood for our home forever, uh, as well as improving some of the stands of trees um, for commercial applications because wood is like the original best biomaterial. 
That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing everything that's going on at Ecovative. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and very inspiring. Um, thank you all for tuning in to Heritage Radio Network, to my engineer, David Tadashore, and to Metro Jesus for our theme song. You can find and subscribe to Magnifico Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find great podcasts. And if you like what you hear, kindly give us a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe also a rating. It helps us rank higher amongst conventional living um, podcasts and to push these conversations forward. And don't forget to swing by Magnifico.com. You can check out the great Mushroom Lamps by Danielle Trofe. Thanks for listening. Until next time. for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.